Hey guys, this is the New Heights Church Podcast, and we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. Here at New Heights, we exist to love people and point them to Christ. Enjoy today's service. Tomorrow is Dr. Martin Luther King Day, and you know he's really a, a man with a, a great vision, great vision for peace and unity in the body of Christ. Um, he didn't get to see his dream come to pass. And I, I don't really think we've seen the f- total fulfillment of that dream, but I do think we're seeing it. I think we're seeing it come to pass and it's on us. It's our responsibility to root out the seed of racism, to root out the seed of hatred. No matter what family you were raised in, you have different cultures that you come from. And it's our responsibility to make sure that even if some of those were adverse, that we do not allow those, any heinous thoughts and ideologies to perpetuate to the next generation. It's our responsibility to actually love people and point them to Christ. Matter of fact, this is a little part of the dream he was talking about. Cause if you look around right now, you got people of every color in here. You got black people, you got white people, you got brown people, you got pink people. Come on somebody. Or opaque, depending upon the season. Uh, But this is the will of God. In heaven, you're going to see everybody. And it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful reunion. So just as a sign of unity, grab hands with the person next to you. And matter of fact, go ahead and extend across the aisles if you can. If you have to move around a little bit, that's cool. We're a moving church. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you right now for Dr. King and the vision that he had. We thank you, Lord God, for peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We rebuke the seed and the spirit of racism in the name of Jesus Christ. We decree and we declare that we will not judge others by their skin tone or their background. We decree and we declare, Lord God, that we're going to love people and we're going to point them to Christ. We thank you, Lord God, for our diverse church. We thank you, Lord God, for the different cultures that are represented here at New Heights. And I just ask you, Lord God, to continue to bring people from different backgrounds and let them know this is a place where they'll be loved and that the Lord will be celebrated by all types of people. But thank you, Lord God, for the the movement that Dr. King certainly had a magnificent hand in starting that we're still speaking of today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Give God a big hand right there. All right, give two people a high five. Tell them they look good in church and you can be seated. Open your Bible to John chapter number six. John chapter six. Juan Capitulo says, come on somebody. Nope, that's it. After that, I go to like fajitas, empanada. It might just, it might just be the spirit of hunger getting upon me. Now that it is past noon, praise the Lord. All right, here we go. John chapter number six. This is where Jesus fed thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. Everybody's there. Everybody's hungry. Jesus said, where are we going to get some food? 
one of the disciples said, if we had 200 pieces of silver, it wouldn't buy enough food. And a little boy had his lunch, some bread, and some fish. And Jesus takes it in verse 11. He said, he took the loaves and when he given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were sitting down and likewise of the fishes, listen to this, as much as they would. To understand anything in the body of Christ, you must understand kingdom. Jesus did not die just so you can go to heaven. Jesus died to restore the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here now. Somebody say now. now. Jesus said, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand or it is here and available. Repent means to change how you think. In Christendom, we have spent decades, if not centuries, praying to go to heaven, which is directly contrary to the prayer that Jesus modeled for us to pray after. So he actually said, uh, when he was asked, they said, Jesus, master, teach us how to pray. He said, pray this way. He said, pray that his will would be done here as it is in heaven. In other words, in the church at large, especially in religious entities, uh, people have been taught to pray or almost beg for heaven. When the reality is Jesus said, don't pray about leaving constantly, but pray that heaven would come here because each one of us have been made in God's likeness and God's image. And we have been given dominion. Somebody say dominion. Dominion means you're supposed to be dominating right here, right now. How many of you would just like to dominate your life? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you, some of you feel like you're dominating when you get the kids to the school bus on time. You feel like, look at me out here being a parent. Praise the Lord. Tell you what. You're on time to pick them up and you're just feeling like a winner all the way around. And then they get in the car and they've got a nosebleed. You're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? But you're supposed to be dominating life. You're supposed to be dominating the planet. And, and that means not to abuse or any of that. But what it does mean is you've been given, the Bible says, the gift of dominion. That means uh, God, uh, and the reason it's important to know it's a gift is because you didn't do anything to get it. In Genesis chapter one and chapter two, it talks about man being created, man being formed. And the first thing that God gives him is dominion. He didn't do anything, Right. He didn't do anything wrong. Humanity was given dominion. It was a gift. You know it's a gift when you get something that you didn't do anything for. And the Bible says God doesn't give his gifts and then take them away from you. So whether you're walking in this dominion, walking in this authority or not is up to you. Jesus came to restore your authority in that place of dominion. Because before you get to know Jesus and you give your life to him, you are an unclean vessel. But when you get washed in the blood of the lamb, now you are a clean vessel. The scripture says you don't wash a pot on the outside first. You wash the inside first, then you wash the outside. Religion says clean the outside up, then you can come to God. God says, I'll clean the inside up, then I'll work on the outside with you. So what happens is now all of a sudden you're a candidate for the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you. Once the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, now you have the authority to take up the dominion that God originally placed mankind in, which was his plan from the very beginning. 
The Bible says that uh, Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So if you want to know what God is like, you can write this down. You read about him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's four different pictures, four different recollections of Jesus walking on the planet and doing what Jesus does. Why is that important? Because the Bible says he doesn't do anything he didn't see his father do. So everything you see Jesus doing, that's what the father's doing. The Bible says not only is that what the father's doing, Jesus said, I don't do anything else. I only do what he tells me to do. So whenever you begin to get a picture of Jesus, now all of a sudden you can look at it like this. Did Jesus ever make anybody sick? Neither would his father. He's doing what he sees his father do. So for us, he is the author and the finisher of our faith and he is also our king. Somebody say king. This is important in a kingdom because in a kingdom, it just means a king's domain. So in the king's domain, there are different things to understand. One, you got to understand what's the kingdom like. And Jesus shows us right here in John 6 and 11, he shows us what the kingdom is like. He takes an offering. He prays over that offering. He distributes that offering. And then the Bible says this last line of that verse says, and likewise of the fish, listen, as much as they would or as much as they wanted, because the kingdom of God, it, have you ever seen, there was a, there was a movie came out about a big green guy called Shrek. Have you ever seen Shrek? He had a donkey that, that ran around with him. The donkey was really funny. And he said to him, he said, uh, onions have, or no, he said, Shrek's, what are they called? Ogre, that's it. Ogres have layers, like an onion. And then the donkey's like, why couldn't you be like cake? <laughs> but here's the thing. The kingdom has layers also. And you're going to get to whatever layer you want to get to. Because wherever you decide to stop, you can stop. Because God has already determined he's not going to overrun your will. It doesn't say that Jesus walked around to all the people sitting down and stuffed their pockets full of bread. What it does say is as much as they want. As much as they would. So in the kingdom, you must get an understanding of abundance. Somebody say abundance. This is very important. You must get an understanding of abundance. I watch shows on television uh, about those guys that go and get the gold. One's called Gold Rush. Matter of fact, I did a series on Gold Rush and, and how the valuable things are oftentimes hidden in a whole lot of dirt. Isn't it interesting that God pulled you out of the dirt and breathed into you? But the, but the Bible says that God literally paves the streets of heaven with gold. Now, I'm not a gold miner, but these guys, they'll work weeks at a time. And sometimes they'll have, say, 160 ounces after a week's worth of work and literally hundreds and hundreds of dump truck loads of dirt. 160 ounces is 10 pounds. 10 pounds would not make up one gold brick if you were making the streets out of bricks. But in heaven, God paves the whole thing with gold. So for you to understand the kingdom, you must understand abundance. He is not thinking small. 
in your life. He is not thinking your job is the only way you're going to make money the rest of your life. He is not thinking this person is happy, therefore you cannot be happy because there is only so much happiness in the world. He is not thinking this person is blessed financially, therefore this person cannot be blessed financially because God does not see limits like that. He is the God of abundance. When the Israelites were in the desert and they got thirsty, Moses hit a rock with a, with his staff and the Bible says water just flowed out of it constantly. In other words, abundance in the middle of the desert. For you to understand the kingdom, you must understand abundance. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life and life more abundant. You have to understand abundance. And this is like, this is the Bible belt, okay? The Southern band of the United States is considered the Bible belt because there's a church on almost every corner. And when there's a church on almost every corner, you can hear all types of different teachings. So some of you are going to have to wash out some of that. And us preachers like things that rhyme some of that stinking thinking you've got. Because the way to picture this in the way that God is actually looking at you is sometimes it's easier to not look at yourself, but to look at your children. No good parent would want their child sick. So why would God, who's a good father, make his children sick? No good parent would want their child in poverty and having debt collectors call them every three hours. That's terrible parenting. Why would we consider God like that? I'll tell you why. Because we let Hollywood describe what is holy. So we have this picture of what is holy. We see, when I say holy, maybe you have pictures in your head of like statues. Or maybe you have a picture in your head of a, of a, of a robe. I should start wearing a robe, Jake. Maybe you have this picture of a robe or maybe you have a picture of like some place that you can't go. That's not God's definition of holy. Matter of fact, the word holy in our Bible literally means separate, set apart. And again, one of the best ways to have a real quick understanding of it is your own children. You love all the children at the school. But yours are holy to you. They're separated for you. That's why they walk in your house and eat all your groceries. All the other kids can't do that. But yours do because they are holy. They are separate unto you and for you. And they are separate for you by God. So when God looks at you, this is important and you got to get this down in your knower. He's looking at you as a holy people. You're not what you were. You are now his, you are now his child. And as a child of God, you are an heir and a joint heir with King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means you now have unfettered access to the abundance of the kingdom of God. Because he said, 
he who would not withhold his own son, what would he withhold from you? God is not up there saying, I want this one rich. I want this one poor. I want this one sick. And I want this one middle class. He said, throw that scripture back up there. He said, as much as they would. That's why your condition and your position ultimately depends on what you believe, not on what is true. I'm going to say that again, just to make sure nobody thinks I just misspoke. Your condition and your position depends on what you believe, not on what is true. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But if you do not believe on him, you will not meet him the way I will meet him. Your belief will dictate your condition and your position, not whether or not something is true. Something can be true and you don't believe it and it won't work for you and you will blame everybody around you instead of the one person that it actually falls on. Because the Bible, listen to this, is faith activated. You must believe it to experience it. So in other words, Jesus is painting this picture. Not only does he give everybody everything they want. Listen, the Bible says there are 12 baskets full left over. Now, some believe that it was one basket for every disciple. Some believes it was given to the little boy who gave his, his lunch. The Bible really doesn't make it clear. But what we do know is it's exceedingly above more than they were asking or thinking because they were just talking about if I had 200 pieces of silver, I'd give everybody just a bite of food. When you come to my house and eat dinner, I promise you, you're going to get more than a bite of food. Come on, somebody. You come to, the other day, uh, my parents, they gave me a real healthy thing. They gave me uh, a double fryer. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and so, so I was frying fish. Come on, somebody. Crappie. I was frying shrimp. I was frying homemade buttermilk. Onion rings that were as good as they said. Yeah, the spirit of hunger has got me 100%. But when we got done eating, there was piles of stuff left over. Because when you want to feed somebody, you don't want them to have just what they, just that little bit taste, just a little taste. You want them to have everything that they want. This is the way the Lord is with you. So the reality is, is his kingdom and the level of blessing that you walk in is more directly proportional to your belief than anything else. Because if you can believe it, you can receive it. And if you do not believe it, you will not. Exactly the same way you're born again. If you don't believe on Jesus, you won't receive him. But he is still king of kings. If you don't believe in the abundance of the kingdom, you won't walk in it. And you'll look at everybody else and you'll wonder, what's the code? And you'll be like, you'll be like those that call Christians after they've been tithing and offering for 10 years. And they say, how come you're so blessed? They say, well, I read the Bible, I believe the Bible, and I do the Bible. And then they're going to say to you, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but what's like the real secret? What, what is it? What's the real secret? I remember one of my friends, he's one of my best friends in the world. He came to me and he said this to me. He goes, this is going to be, this is 
kind of funny. He said, how do you get Crystal to listen to me? Or to, how do you get Crystal to listen to you? That's my wife, by the way. And I said, she don't listen to me. No, I'm just kidding. I'll say that. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, he goes, my wife doesn't listen to me. I said, well, I said, I listen to her. <laughs> I said, so the reality is, is we both believe the Bible and then we decided to together believe the Bible. And in the process, we threw away all of our opinions on what a marriage is supposed to look like. And we decided God was correct. And we were going to try to model our life after what God says a marriage is supposed to look like. And we don't argue. He goes, but how, but how do you, how do you make her, how do you make her listen to you? I said, I just told you how we live our life. Because everybody wants to know what's the code. Because it's easier to believe you won the lottery than it is to believe that faith works to an unbeliever. It's easier to believe in luck to an unbeliever. It's easier for an unbeliever to believe in luck than it is to believe in faith. And when you decide I'm standing on this book and if he says the kingdom is abundant and you get everything that you want, let me tell you what I want. And I don't mind telling you, I want everything Jesus paid for. I don't want one drop of my best friend's blood to have been shed in vain. I do not want, want one drop of my king's blood to have been shed in vain. I do not want one microsecond when he descended into hell to lead captivity captive to have been done in vain. I do not want one nail hole to be in vain. I don't want one lash on his back to be done in vain. Therefore, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord and everybody else can butt a stump, but we're going to stand on the word. So when he said life abundantly, I don't care if every Christian on the planet decides that being outside of that is a more godly thing. I'm still going to stick with the Bible because the Bible never let me down. So in order to understand the kingdom, you must understand abundance. Somebody say abundance. All right, here we go. I didn't have time in the first service, but I'm going to try to get through a few more scriptures. Verse 15. All right. So after this, they were all excited and they wanted to make Jesus a king, lowercase k. And Jesus, verse 15, when he perceived that they were going to come take him by force to make him a king, he departed into a mountain alone. And when the evening was now come, his disciples went down to the sea and they entered into a ship and they went over toward Capernaum and it was dark and Jesus was not come to them. So Jesus wasn't there. Jesus up in the mountain. He was trying to go because everybody's trying to make him king because he made the bread multiply and the disciples are like, we don't know where Jesus is, but we know we need to go to Capernaum. So they go get in the boat. They go to Capernaum. It's nighttime and they're rowing across, but Jesus is not with them at the time. Are you still with me? Just say amen. amen. All right. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about uh, five and 20 or 30 furlongs, furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the water, walking on the sea, drawing near unto the ship and they were afraid. 
But he said unto them, it is I, or it's me guys, be not afraid. And they willingly received him into the ship. All right. So they're going across the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, and they're rowing across. It's the middle of the night. There's all kind of waves. And all of a sudden you got to picture this. Somebody comes walking up to the boat on the water. Now, this is not a fable. This, this really happened. This is not like Goldilocks. This is, this really took place. So the disciples are there. So put yourself in their condition. Is they're already scared because it's the middle of the night. The wind and the waves are going crazy. And here comes a man walking on the water. And they're scared. And they said, all of a sudden, Jesus said, hey, don't be scared, guys. It's me. And the scripture says they willingly, somebody say willingly. They willingly received him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land where they were heading, whither they went, where they were heading. Let me say it like this. The minute you willingly let Jesus in your boat is the day your ship comes in. The minute you let Jesus on your vessel, the minute you let Jesus get in your business, the minute you let Jesus get in your family, the minute you let Jesus get in your college degree plan, the minute you let Jesus get in your prayer life. I know it sounds funny, but you can have a prayer life without Jesus. There are people walking around that know the Bible of our God, but they don't know the God of our Bible. But the minute you decide to let Jesus in your boat, the Bible says immediately they ended up where they were going. You've got to get to the place where trusting him is the concept that you are longing for. They didn't have to believe it was Jesus walking on the water, but immediately they received him. See, in the kingdom of God, it all hangs on your belief. In the kingdom of God, it all hangs on what you are willing to put your faith in because your faith is in something. And let me, let me say this and I'll try to do it politely, but y'all know me. When you spend all day worrying, it's like putting your faith in something bad happening. When he said the birds of the air don't wonder what they're going to eat. The flowers don't wonder how they're going to be clothed. So when you decide to follow this king, Jesus, this man, son of God and son of man. Why is he the son of man? Because man was given dominion here. So when he wanted the earth rescued. Or the inhabitants of earth rescued. He had to send somebody who had dominion. Because God is spirit. And spirits don't have dominion here. That's why demons are always trying to possess people. Because they have no dominion. All they can do is influence people who have dominion. So the son of man. The son of God now all of a sudden restores you in authority into that place of dimension of dominion. And when you get in him in this way, now all of a sudden, immediately you begin to find yourself where you should be. The Bible says, as soon as they let Jesus in, they found out exactly where they were going to be. Now you 
kind of the rest of the story. That's, that's where the disciples were. But all the people that he fed were looking for him. And they looked and they saw that, that the disciples weren't there and Jesus wasn't there. So they're like, man, where's that guy? that fed us. We're looking for him. So they're, they're looking everywhere. And some of them get in a boat because maybe they heard the disciples saying we're going to Capernaum. And so they start heading that way. And then a lot of them start walking around the bank of the sea and they get over there close to where Jesus is. Verse 25. And they found him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Or how did you get here? Cause they knew nobody saw him in the path walking. They knew he didn't leave with the disciples. So they're trying to figure out how he got there. Verse 27, verse 26. Jesus said unto them, this is critical. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw miracles, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. In the kingdom of God, It's mapped out in Genesis 1, 2, 3. God took Adam and he created him. He formed him out of the dust. He breathed the breath of life, the spirit of God into him. He caused him to go to sleep and he pulled out his rib. And he created Eve out of the rib. And Adam looks over at Eve after he had named all the animals And he says, my name is man. And he goes, whoa, man, I want that one. And him and Eve, the Bible says, they are the first covenant. That marriage is like the first covenant we see on planet earth. If I said it differently, I would say it like this. The will of God was for God's son to have a bride and have dominion on planet earth. So when he went to restore the kingdom... He sent his son who would be the bridegroom, come on somebody, for the bride of Christ, which is the church. In other words, the will of God is for his son to be wed and to have dominion on planet earth. Now, Jesus is walking by excuse me, is there. And the people walk up and they said to him, when did you get here? And Jesus said to him, he said, you didn't come to me for the miraculous. You didn't come to me for the kingdom. You came to me because I filled your belly. I have a son. His name's Walker Lee. He's going to be 11 soon. He'll get married one day. He'll get married to a beautiful young lady. They'll, uh, they'll have grandkids All first round draft kids, or I'll have grandkids. They'll all be first round draft picks. Come on, somebody. Uh, It's going to be a beautiful time. They're all going to minister the gospel. It's going to be amazing. But I don't want my son marrying somebody just because he can feed her. You know, when you get married, you stand in front of a preacher usually or a judge, and there's usually some vows. Not like vowel. For some reason, I immediately thought wheel of fortune. I'd like to buy a vowel. You do. You 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 confess or profess your vow, your commitment to one another. So you say things like this: "Until death do us part, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, 
All my earthly possessions, I duly bestow. I give you every single thing I have. And you make a commitment to stay in a covenant, not based on how well they can provide for you, but the reality is your love for them becomes the priority and everything else is a benefit. Jesus says to them, he said, you just came to me because I fed you. So here's the question I have, and I know it's heavy. Are you seeking him? Or are you seeking his hand? Because what he wants is, this is why he said he hates divorce. I'm not picking on anybody that's been divorced. I just want you to know why he said it. Because he knew he would describe his relationship with you as a marriage. And if you see divorce as an option, you'd think he might leave you. He won't do that. He hates the idea. Divorcing Jesus is always one-sided. He never files for divorce against you. He never says irreconcilable differences to you. So the question is, when you're following him, are you following him because he fed your stomach? My wife and I, we've had great times and we've had, we've had, you know, slimmer times. We've had, we've had more challenging times. There's never been a moment where I thought it was just because I can bring bread home. There's never been a moment where good or bad, I didn't want to go through it with her. I want her. If it's a good moment, I want her. If it's a bad moment, I want her. If, if, it's, if it's a mediocre moment, I want her. I want, I want her. And all the blessings, and there's a lot, all the blessings are a side item to having her. This is what he wants with you. See, there's a lot of believers, but he didn't just say, I just want you to be a believer. He said, I want you to be converted. I want you to be separate, not separate and and, and never reaching back to the world, but separate from the things of this world, divorce the world and fall in love with your beloved once again. He goes on to teach him and he says, listen, he says, you guys just came to me because I can feed you bread. This is just a side note. It's it's just kind of an offshoot. A lot of times on Wednesday nights, we will have food and stuff like here. I bet Wednesday night attendance goes up. I don't know where we're going to put them. It's already full. We should build a new sanctuary. But sometimes we say, hey, there's going to be a party, you know, whatever. But a lot of times we just do it. And we don't say anything about it. And one of the reasons why is if you're coming for the food, you can miss the bread of life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
he says, he goes on to talk to him. He goes, he goes, guys, if, if you fall in love with the bread, you'll miss who I am. I'm the manna that Moses fed the Israelites. I'm the bread of life. You can't meet my father unless you eat me. Think of how weird that sounds. Because he's talking about it to them. This is before the cross. He's like, you got to eat me. You got to drink my blood. They're like, what did he say? And they said to him, they said, they said, Jesus. They said, how do we do the works of God? I'm having to paraphrase because of time. But he said to him, believe. He said, well, that sounds simple. Belief is one of the most challenging things you'll ever do. To look at a doctor's report and choose to believe the word of God instead. To look at your prodigal son or daughter out doing something crazy and believe in the word of God instead. To look at the challenges of your finances and to believe the word of God instead. To look at the challenges of your marriage, of your home life and believe the word of God instead. You know what they said to him after he taught this? He said, that's a hard thing. After he said that, taught him all this. That's so hard. Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. The minute the bread line closed, they left. And they didn't realize they were standing next to bread itself. say this to talk about me, but I understand what Job said when he said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. When you take divorce off the table, when you take what will make you quit off the table, you frustrate the enemy and you empower the kingdom in your life. When the, when the enemy walks up and you've got nothing on the table that, you would, that would cause you to stop serving Jesus. When you have your hand laying on the casket of a loved one who went to heaven early and you refuse to blame God. When everything inside you is sitting there screaming, why, why, why? And you say, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. I don't serve him for the bread. I eat along the way, but I don't serve him for the bread. I serve him because he gave me life when I had none. I serve him because he opened up the windows of heaven over my life. And he's poured out peace and joy and love. And he's given me a purpose and a fire and a vigor. I serve him because he is the king. Said many of them left 
Then Jesus looked at the 12. I think that's what he's saying today. Will you also go away? What will make you quit? What will make you stop serving God? Will you also go away? Verse 68, throw it up there. Then Simon Peter answered him. He doesn't say where. He says, to whom should we go? Who would I go to, Jesus? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. Jesus said, they serve me for the bread. Are you leaving too? And Peter said, who would we run to? At different times, I, I really can relate to Peter, but I don't think I can relate to him much more than that statement right there. Where would I go? Who, who comforted me when all my friends left me? Who brought me my wife? Stay around here. I'll tell you a story about how God healed my son who was blind. Not metaphorically. Physically. No one else can do that. I'm not going anywhere he's not. Doesn't mean that you get everything correct. It means you never take your jersey off. I'm on team Jesus when I hit a home run and I'm on team Jesus when I strike out. Because what he was looking for for his son was a marriage covenant. And wouldn't it be weird if I committed to Crystal, but she only committed to me as long as the bank account had this much money? Breadline. No, what he was looking for was a commitment. Let me say it differently. Excuse me while I poke you in the chest. What would make you quit? This is the depth of the word of God calling out to the depth of you. You were molded, formed, and poured into a mold for war. Not to be pushed around the rest of your life, spiritually. You were made to take up your place next to your king. And live a life worthy of the life that was given for you. We don't abstain from sin because we're afraid of hell. We abstain from sin because it hurts our Savior. We don't follow God because there's going to be a, 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 a bread and, and fish service. We follow God because there's nowhere else to go. There's no other choice. There, it's not like 
You can, you can do this and have life another way. There is no other way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And the commitment to him is one of a covenant. And it'll never be poor. But for richer or poor, I'm with you, Jesus. He changes judgments. He changes verdicts. He gives you houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, but that's not why we serve him. We serve him because to know him is to love him. Because in the darkest moment that only you know about in your life, he didn't divorce you. He didn't go to his dad and say, I want to let this one go. The Bible says he's making intercession for you. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Number one, Subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, follow us on social media. That is the best way to stay up to date on everything happening at New Heights. We look forward to you joining us next time on the New Heights podcast. And if you are ever in the Bryan College Station area, we invite you to come out to New Heights Church for a live service. I promise we'll make you feel right at home.